So if you're writing down, I've entitled my message uh, this afternoon, Leadership Responsibility. Leadership Responsibility. You know, uh, I, I had to say this because most of the people, they love what they see on the podium. They love the end product, you know, of leadership. But they don't know the work behind leadership, the responsibility the pain, the sufferings, the struggles, you know, that leaders are going through. So, I want you to understand that uh, leadership, it is a responsibility. It is not just something that you take light. It is responsibility. And if you want to have a, um, a successful organization, surely you need to have a strong leadership. You need to have, you know, a strong leadership that is in the right position or that is taking responsibility. You know, when you read in the book of Romans chapter 12, the scripture that we all know, but the first two verses, it talks about, you know, and do not conform to the standard of this world. Is the verses that we all know. But from verse 3, you know, up to verse 8, you find that Paul is talking, you know, to the church in Rome, you know, is encouraging the church of Jesus, you know, to be able to serve the body of Christ and then with different gifting, you know. But in verse 6, I want you to read this. It says in verse 6, I'm reading, you know, with the NLT translation. It says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. Note that it says, well, you know. And so if God has given you the ability, Bamba, to prophesy. It says, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And then verse 7 says, if your gift is serving others, listen what it says. It says, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, it also says, be encouraging. If your, gifting, if your gift is giving, it says, give generously. But I love this portion. It says, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. I love that. Take the responsibility seriously. You know, the tone changes when it comes to leadership. All these people are very important. It says, when you serve serve well. When you teach, teach well. You know, when you give, be generous. It goes on and on. But the tone begins to change when it comes to leadership. It says, when you take this responsibility of leadership, make sure you take it seriously. And I know why. As I said right from the beginning, to say everything rises and falls on leadership. That is why we need to take leadership seriously because it's not a child's play. We have seen many countries, Mazalwane. We have seen many organizations going down. We have seen many, you know, many organizations flourishing and it was because of leadership. We have seen some of them going down and it has been a leadership. Countries going down because of leadership. Countries doing well because of leadership. Maybe you are asking this afternoon, what is leadership, Pastor Matebula? I've got three definitions here. Number one, it, it is by John Maxwell. John Maxwell says, leadership 
it is the ability to influence others. I think we know that definition. And leadership, it is the ability to influence others. I love a definition as well by Miles Monroe. May, this, may his soul rest in peace. He says, leadership, Bamba, it is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, motivated by passion, generated by vision, produced by a conviction, ignited by a purpose. So he goes deeper and deeper into that definition. Can I say it again? He says, leadership, it is the capacity to influence others. Okay? You must have that capacity to influence others. He says, through inspiration, okay? You don't force this thing. You don't push this thing. You understand? It must actually come automatically. It says, motivated by passion. Because leadership, it is passion. It is not something that you can buy over the counter. Are you with me? It is not something that can be given to you. It is a passion that God gives unto you. Are you with me? So he says motivated by passion, not motivated by money. Very important. We need to define that because today people, they take a leadership not for leadership, but for the benefit of it. That if I become a leader, these are the benefits. Are you with me? But it says it is motivated by passion. Generated by vision. Okay? Produced by a conviction. You must be convicted. Leadership, it is conviction. Money or no money. You are convicted. It's a conviction. You stand for this thing. Are you with me? I mean, I, I, I know, Bishop, I know many years ago when they started, you know, I watched at the distance. You, you, you preach even if it is 15 people. You, you, you exercise passion even if it is four people. Because this thing, it is in the inside of you. It is produced by a conviction. Are you with me? Ignited by a purpose. And unfortunately, we are running short of those leaders in our nation today. Sometimes when you switch on television and you realize that it is not conviction, it is not passion, there is something that is influencing people to enter into position. No wonder the chaos that we have in many churches because we don't understand the role of leadership. Let me give you my definition as well of leadership. Here is my definition. Leadership, it is being courageous and willing to lead and speak out for the betterment of those around you. Did you hear what I said? I said leadership is being courageous and willing to lead and speak out for the betterment of those around you and those to come, if I may add. Leadership. When God placed Adam in the garden of Eden, he wanted him to lead. And he said, cultivate. Where there's a leader, everything that is around the leader must flourish. 
is being courageous and willing to lead and speak out for the betterment of others. So people around you as a leader, they become better. People around you as a leader, you know, they, they begin to, to, their lives begins to improve. Their lives begin to become better because there's a leader. But anything that is revolving around the leader, we need to challenge that. If everything is all about you, you have been worshipped, you understand? It is all about you, it is me, me, na, he, me, na, nika, me, na, all, all. That is not leadership, that is witchcraft. Because leadership makes the lives of people and even the environment better because you are there as a leader. Those are the responsibility, you know, of leadership. People are becoming better. You know, churches have been planted. Are you with me? Communities are being changed because of a leader that is there. It is not just the leader, but it is the lives of the people. Leadership, it is responsibility and it makes the lives of people better. And we need to always remember this, Barcelona. We are called to make the lives of other people better. As a leader, wherever you go and you see that the lives of people are not becoming better, it must trouble you because you are a leader. And I strongly believe that based on that scripture, three areas, there are three areas you need to take responsibility. If you are writing them down, here they are. You need to take responsibility, number one, you know, in your personal level as a leader. And then number two, in your public level, posterity level. I'll take them one by one, okay? And I'll give you some simple example. If you want to see these three things, you need to study the life of David, study the life of Joseph, study the life of Daniel, study the life of Esther you'd realize that these four people that I've quoted, you know, in the area of their leadership, they made sure that in their personal level, they are successful. In the public level as well, they became successful. In the posterity level as well, they were successful. So those three things, I said to you, you know, three areas you need to take responsibility. Number one, you know, at personal level. Personal level. When you speak of personal level, you are talking about make it happen at personal level. This is all about leading yourself before you lead other people. This is self-leadership, self-awareness, self-nourishment, self-governing, self-discipline, self-managing. Every leader, before you can lead other people, it is very important to be able to lead yourself first. At personal level, there are things that you need to conquer. Look at David. Let me use David as an example. Before he could appear before Saul, he killed the bear. He killed the lion in, in his private space. There was no one who was a spectator while he was killing these things. He was there alone. Nobody celebrated him, but he had to kill these things in his private space. Before he could go into the public space. And most of the time when I speak to leaders, I say to them, before you go to the public space, what is it that you have killed in your private space? Before you can stand in front of people, before you can demand a pulpit, before you can ask somebody to say, I want to start my church. What is it that you have killed in your private space before you go to the public space? 
And the problem that I have, men of God, is that we've got many leaders who are in the public space, but they have not killed some things in their private space. And my, my concern and my fears is that the things that you don't kill in a private space, they, has, they have a tendency of showing up in public. While you are standing, while you are becoming famous, and then those things now, so in public. We say people are corrupt in public. No, 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 no. They dala in the private space. They were not okay. All that is happening in the public space is just exposing them. Now, we are African people. We can give the lion and the bear some meaning here. We can give it some meaning. We know that a lion represents the spirit of pride. It's the spirit of pride. The spirit of, of, of intimidating other people. The spirit of intimidation. The spirit of violence. The spirit of greed. That's what, that's what the lion does. And then we can give even the bear the, the, some, some definitions here. Some meaning. We know that a bear does not forget. Spirit of unforgiveness. And you know what he did, this young man? He killed this thing in his private space. Before he could appear in the public space. It is dangerous for leaders to stand in the public space. They are angry, they are bitter, and yet they want to stand in public and lead other people. All that they do, it is anger and arrogance that you see because they've not killed some things in the private space. It is a challenge and a responsibility to all of us to identify things in a private space and kill those things. And destroy them because the public space is waiting for you. Leading yourself. Self-discipline in the private space. And thereafter, you can go to the public space. So we see him, oh David, going to, to Saul. He says to Saul, when he was called, he said, I can face this giant. And he takes what he has done in the public, in the, in the private space. He used that as a testimony to get the license to face the giant in the public space. He says, I have killed the, the bear. I have killed the lion. So I can face this giant. And Saul gives him a permission because in a private space. Therefore, you can face this giant. So number two leaders, they make it happen at public level. At public level, is this is where you occupy. This is where you become visible. This is where you rise to the occasion. This is where you stand and be counted. This is where you confront the status quo. Because in a public space, we are facing giants. It is not time in the public space to deal, you know, with your private matters. 
And it's a painful thing that while we are facing the giants of our days, when we have to fight the giants, we have to deal with the matters that were supposed to be dealt with in the private space. While we are facing serious matters, yet we are facing the giants. These are the things that you did not deal with them in a private space. We are facing giants, Barcelona. There was no time for David to kill the bear at that time because the giant was here. The giant was here. Listen to me, leaders. We've got giants that are facing our community. I can give you a list of them. The giant of HIV AIDS. We've got the giant of corruption. You know, now we are facing with another giant. Now we have coronavirus. These are the giants that we are facing in, in our community. So it is very important to understand that we've got giants and then we need you to stand in the public space and confront the giant. But only those who have done what Bazalwane, who have killed things in the private space, they can confront the giant. Because if the giant, you are standing before the giant, let me tell you, he's not going to show you mercy. He's, if he knows that there are things, there are things that you have not killed, it's going to expose you. So let's kill those things. And at the end of the day, we confront the giant. And listen to me, when you confront the giant, you confront the giant, you chop his head. Because these are the things that we are facing. But I want to spend more time on the last one. Posterity level. Posterity level. Areas you need to take responsibility. I said number one, personal level. Number two, public level. And number three, you know, posterity level. Posterity level, you make it happen, you know, at generational level. This is where we speak about generations to come. You know, this is where you need to think future. You see beyond now. You lead with the future generation in mind. You know, you shape the future Today, you make things better for generation to come. At this level, this is where you outlive yourself. Did you get those things? Did you get them? Can I say them once again? You know, you, you, you think future. Okay, you see beyond now. Leaders, they must see beyond now. That is why I love grace. Because the bishop, he, he sees beyond now. It's not about today, it's about the next generation. You, you, you lead with the future generation in mind. Are you with me? And then you shape the future today. You know, you make things better for generations to come. And then you know what you do? You outlive yourself. You outlive yourself. This is what I want to say to you leaders. From today when you read the book of Samuel, you must read this story of David with a different understanding. You, you see, when, when, when Goliath said to the king or to the Israelites, when he said, give me a man, give me a man, and when I fight this man, if I conquer him, he said, listen, he said, you and your children, you will serve us for the rest of your life. And if this man conquers me, he says, me and our people, we are going to serve you for the rest of our lives. Listen to me. This was not just a battle between Goliath and David. This was a generational battle. 
David was not just standing there for himself. He was representing the generations. He was representing you and I. It was not just a battle between him and Goliath. It was a spiritual battle. Are you with me? And not just a spiritual battle. It was a generational battle. David was representing the next generation. And many leaders, they don't understand that. That when you stand here, you are representing the next generation. And your failure, it is not you failing. You are failing the next generation. Read what the scripture says. It says David ran into the battlefield. That is a sense of agency right there. Because he understood I'm representing the next generation. Therefore, I'm not just going to walk facing the giant. I must run because this is a matter of agency. The next generation's life is at stake here. The Bible says he ran. He ran into the battlefield because he understood that he is representing the next generation. Leaders, it is my prayer. You know, all the time I cry for this country. When I see leaders, I'm looking at them. I say, you know, they're just thinking about here and now. They're not thinking about the next generation. We are even beaten, you know, by, by people who are not Christians. They understand, they understand the next generation story. You know, when you look at BM, they'll, they'll tell you about the next generation of BMW. As I speak to you right now, they have released, they have made and conditioned a BMW i8 Yaga 2025. They have created that BMW. You know what they've done? Designed, made, and what they do, my bishop, they take the photo, and they design Yaga 2025, and they take it to the other car dealers, the other engineers. They are saying to them, if you are thinking of a design for 2025, this is our design. You better design another car, another design, because we have already come up with the design for 2025. You know what they have done? They actually step into 2025 and they claim 2025 they claim 2025 and they came back and they started relaxing understanding that the future it is secured the future it is secured that is what the Germans are doing and come 2025 they release the car and you and I we are calling it a new model <laughs> It is a new model to you because you are far behind. But with them, it was not a new model. Already they step into 2025 and they claim 2025. How I wish the church of Jesus can do the same. How I wish the leadership in, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we can do the same. We can step into 2025. You know, and what we do, Basalwane, we claim this generation while they are still young, while they are still babies. We make sure that our Sunday school becomes powerful. We make sure that our youth becomes powerful. We claim them while they are still young. And then we come here, we know, come 2025, 
We've got leaders. We've got, ah, it is set. It is set. Our children, good children's church, we know it is okay. We, we, we know we, we, we've got ministers of the gospel. We know we've got engineers. We know we've got engineers. We know we've got future leaders because this matter is a generational matter. And unfortunately, the church of Jesus, somebody studied the church of Jesus. They wanted to check if we are on time. Oh, George Banner, he realized that the church of Jesus, so painful, Bishop, and then he discovered that we are 20 years behind. When, when the radio was introduced for the first time, the church said this thing is of the devil. When, when television was introduced somewhere in the 70s, and then we thought again to Satan. Exactly, one eye monster. That's what they said, because we're far behind. My kids, they were laughing at me now because of COVID. This is when I started coming to Facebook. They are saying, go Facebook. As you say, go Facebook, Baba. They said, Can you jump on Facebook, Baba? Tina, go Instagram. And can it never from the city? I'm going to be Google, Facebook. I say, Elena, Elena. But I realize. <laughs> said, Lord, forgive us. We are behind. But it is right there in the scripture. Goliath understood this. That if I conquer this, I don't just want to conquer David. I want to conquer the next generation. That is why he didn't just want to fight with one man. He made a deal. They signed the contract because the battle it is a generational battle. All that the struggles that you see, Bazalwan, it is a generational battle. You look at, even in the political arena, I don't want to enter into that, the po political space, but you realize that people, they want to continue to, to develop their disciples for the next election, because they are thinking about the next election. It's a generational battle. You know, there's a man in history challenges me. And I pray that this is the type of leadership we are going to produce. By the name, this man, by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Some of you who read history, church history, you'd know him. He was born in 1703, this man. He died in 1758. He was only 55 years when he died. 55 years. The only boy out of 11 children. Born the same year with John Wesley. He gave his life to the Lord at the age of 13. Jonathan Edwards. At age 17, listen to this, he studied theology. Age 19, was given a church to pastor. Married at the age of 24. He was also blessed with 11 children. Remember those days, you know, there were no televisions and all that. And this is the man, if you remember your church history very well, he brought what we call moral and spiritual awakening in America. In America. And one of his popular message was sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know, he preached that sermon and a lot of people came to the Lord. Now, by the year 1900, somebody compiled his history, wanted to see the impact this man has made, you know, with his life. 
And by the year 1900, his children and descendants included the following. Listen to this. 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 3 U.S. senators, 1 U.S.A. deputy president, 66 physicians, 135 editors, one publisher, over 100 overseas missionaries, over 100 philanthropists. But I love the last stanza about this man. It says, his descendants cost the government not a single cent. Not even one of his descendants, they cost the government a single cent. You know, when I picked up this story, man of God, I, I have to confess, I was really broken. I was really broken. And asking myself, if I am no more, what is it that I'm leaving behind? What is it that I'm leaving behind? All of us, as leaders, we have a challenge. We have a challenge. And the challenge is, when you are no more, how are we going to remember you? Because every leader will be remembered with these two things. The problems you solved or the problems you caused. Two things. The problems you solved or the problems you caused. And let's go back and look at our Savior, Jesus. Because it must be like father, like son. Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life. And life in abundance. I mean, he was 33 years old. His ministry only lasted for three years. For 30 years. There we go. I'm, I'm going back where we have started. Before he could start the ministry, here is Jesus for 30 years. He is preparing himself in a private space. He did not rush this thing. Because we need to help leaders to say we need to spend more time in the area of preparation. And that is what the scripture says. For 30 years he prepared. And in his ministry, it was only three years. But he made a serious impact all over the world with the three years ministry. In John chapter 17, here he is once again. He's about to leave. But he understands the, the issues of the next generation. He says, Father, I'm about to come to you. But before I even come, I pray for these ones. I pray for not only these ones, but even those who are going to believe. He was a generational savior. Look at what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, the devil is after your life. The devil is after your life. He wants to sift your life. But listen, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you so that the spirit of God can strengthen you. And then when you come back, I want you to go and strengthen your brothers. 
Generational leadership. That's what we need to do. We think about the next generation. How I wish and how I pray that God should also give us even politicians who will think just like that about the next generation. As a matter of fact, somebody said the statesman thinks about the next generation, but a politician thinks about the next vote. Check it. Check it somewhere, you'll find it. But real leaders, they think about the next generation. Read your Bible very well. David did the same. He did the same. He knew that he could not build the temple. And you know what he did? He prepared things, material, for Solomon. He said, here is the material. Build the temple for the next generation. Let me close with this statement and I will take some questions. We can only lead others where we ourselves have gone. Did you hear what I said, Pastor Ron? We can only lead others where we ourselves have gone. You cannot give what you don't have. You cannot conceive what we have not seen. God takes Abraham out of the tent. He says, look up to the sky. He says, what do you see? He says, countless stars. He says, as far as your eyes can see, this will be your children. You will never conceive what you have not seen. And a nyego wisabantu launga zange uye kona. This is all about the vision. I'm so bold to say these things, Mazaron, because you are so blessed in this church. And I pray that you will see that. You are so blessed in this church. And I pray that you will see that because you've got a leader who went into 2025. And then he came back. He came back and he said, this is how we are going to build this thing. Because leaders are visionaries. Leaders, they think about the next generation. You cannot speak about thousand churches if you don't think about the next generation. Umbuzo says, question. Uti, how are they going to remember you? When you are no more. Are they going to remember you. With the problems. That you have solved. Or the problems. That you have caused. You know there are people. The moment you mention their names. Just. Lead well. So that when you are no more you'll be remembered in the right way. Leaders, they make it happen at personal level. They make it happen at public level. They make it happen at posterity level. I rest my case right here. Thank you. Thank you.